Hello and welcome back to Tate 97, a film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. Today will mark the final episode of the 2021 run of Tate 97, a film podcast. And today it is going to be doing very much what I did last year with film 2020, but in this case, film 2021. Now, Obviously, I haven't seen every single film under the sun. I can't see all of them. It would be impossible due to outside other work commitments and generally life overall prevents me from seeing every single film under the sun. But I try my best to see as many as possible to bring you guys the best content ever and also just to enrich my own viewing experiences as well. But let's just say... The films that I've seen throughout 2021 have been quite a mixed bag, mostly very much ones that I love at my heart. And the only other thing I can say really about this episode is that, obviously, a lot of these films I'm going to mention, I do love them. Uh, Some of them, I don't. I did have a few lows of 2021, for which I've already mentioned on countless episodes of the podcast already as the year's gone by, but today is going to be a fairly chill, relaxed episode of me just talking you through my year in film for film 2021 on Take 97. And I'll be giving a few shout-outs to some of our fellow guests and collaborators across the episode as well, probably towards the end of this, and just a general thank you, really. And I'll start that off, really, this episode by saying thank you so much to everybody who has listened and engaged with the podcast, be it just listening to this over and over in the weeks as you discover new episodes or even those of you who just interact with us a little bit as well as listening you go on our instagram pages you take part in our polls you do everything that's related to our social content and generally as a film community as well i feel like especially towards the end of this year the connection I've had to various members of the podcast community has just grown stronger so I'm absolutely thankful to all of you guys all you fellow podcasters who I will mention a few towards the end of this there's too many to mention but there are a lot of you who do regularly support me so thank you so much for that that means a great deal but now this is how it's going to go films of 2021 I'm going to break this down into about a couple of sections so we've got films that I've seen in the cinema this year and I'm going to give you my quick rundown of those. I'm going to present to you the ones that stood out for me the most. Uh, same goes for other films that I've seen in 2021, such as via streaming services or on Blu-ray because I missed it in the cinema. Um, and then the other thing as well is new discoveries. So new discoveries is a thing that I like to look at because they're films that aren't new and brand new to the cinema or a streaming service but they're new to me they've been out for some years but they're new to me and i've only just discovered them they could be a couple of years old they could be 20 30 40 50 years old so with this in mind this is my year of film in 2021 so let's get started first of all let's start off with the films that i have seen in the cinema this year because that is the most important thing Most of us love the cinema who enjoy discussing films and the cinema experience doesn't quite compare to any other. You know, I am very much a stay-at-home person. I do love to watch my behind-the-scenes extras and the Blu-rays and such in the comfort of my own home, but there's nothing quite like going to a cinema and watching a film or characters that you love on the big screen. And it's just a a joy, really, to watch some of these big blockbusters as well as some of the more self-contained films on the big screen as well. 
I will admit I probably saw more blockbusters this year on the big screen than I did the niche sort of more contained films, as I just said. But I would say these ones for me have been really big highlights, and I've fully enjoyed them. They haven't been without their faults, some of them, but I'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, The first one that I saw this year, or one of the earlier ones that I saw in the cinema this year... Uh, I can remember anyway, there was Black Widow, which is the Marvel Cinematic Universe character, so Natasha Romanoff, played by Scarlett Johansson, portraying the Black Widow that we all know and love from the Avengers films, and you know, the MCU in general, and we this finally is Scarlett Johansson's solo movie that we've been, as Marvel fans, we've been waiting for for ages, because she's been in all the team-up films then, she was in, you know, Civil War, all the Avengers films, uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, that one as well, she was in Iron Man as well, Iron Man 2 specifically, you know, and she's never really had her own solo movie, but as I did cover in my own Black Widow episode earlier on this year, I did state that really, although the film's called Black Widow, it should have just been called The Widows, or, you know, Marvel's The Widows, or something like that, because basically, yeah, the film focuses on Natasha, and it's set after Captain America's Civil War, and we get to see, you know, that little period between her going away with Steve Rogers and before the events of Infinity War and Endgame and all that, you know, we get to see what she gets up to and a little mini skit that she gets herself into with David Harbour playing her foster dad and also her sister Yelena, who is played by the brilliant Florence Pugh, uh, who, in my opinion, stole the show, really, to be honest with you. And I said this categorically on the Black Widow episode that Florence Pugh really made the film. Florence Pugh was really the main character, really, even though she wasn't like presented in the such a way she was the main character um i went to see black widow like i said in a view cinema in bista with my good friend sean who guested on the podcast on my edgar wright episode because we both love marvel uh we went to see black widow as a sort of a, like a leaving present for me as i was moving house but it was a nice sort of thing to watch really it wasn't the best marvel film in my opinion it filled a gap and filled a hole that people wanted and needed to see but at the same time i don't think it was a in retrospect now even after doing the black widow episode i don't think it was the best marvel film i'll get on to what i think the best marvel film of this year and in general was very very soon but uh black widow for me it was very subpar three out of five stars it was four out of five for enjoyability but Purely overall, it has to be rated on the lower end. Black Widow was good for its moments with Florence Pugh and its humour and the classic MCU action. But at the same time, for Black Widow fans, it was a little bit subpar in my opinion. But yeah, that was how I kicked off my year in film because obviously we were in lockdown to begin with. So I wasn't able to actually watch many films at the cinema Uh, and then the next thing that I did see at the cinema in my memory from what I've got here anyway is uh, I then went to see quite a few films all in one go Uh, I went to see Cruella again at the view in Bista Uh, that was basically to sum that up fashion fashion is the word I can use and again I covered Cruella that's the Disney origin story prequel of Cruella de Vil, the character, the villainess from 101 Dalmatians. Uh, Cruella played by Emma Stone, and the film also starring Emma Thompson. 
it's a really stylish film in terms of its production design. 1970s London never looked so good. And the costumes and the makeup and everything that were done for the period and just to match with Cruella's aesthetic was really good. I said this on my episode again. If you haven't um, checked out my Black Widow episode or this episode on Cruella, please go back and check those out and have a little listen to what I thought about those. But Cruella, I think I rated much higher than Black Widow. They're two very different films, but for me personally, Cruella was so much more enjoyable and it was a wicked, devilish film to enjoy. Specifically highlight for me, the red dress reveal. That's all I'll say for now, so I'll leave you to listen to the actual episode that we put out uh, several months ago now about Cruella. Uh, But that one was a fashionable, devilish, style-thrilled ride of intensity then through a Disney psycho mind. (laughs) Uh, You know, you can't get more basic than an origin story for Cruella de Vil of how she goes a bit whoop. But honestly, that was a really good experience. Then shortly after Cruella, a bit of a hiatus for cinema in a way, but mainly because nothing really grabbed my attention. Some things did and I just didn't get around to it. But then the next, or at least one of the next films that I did go to see uh, was Marvel's The Eternals. Now, this was at a showcase cinema. I would tag this as a different kind of superhero film. It's directed by uh, Chloe Zhao. I think that's how you say her name. She also directed Nomadland. But I would say that she does a very good job, Chloe Zhao, uh, of presenting a different kind of superhero movie. Uh, We see these eternal beings so the beings called the eternals i'm not going to spoil it too much for you but at the end of the day they are just glorified uh, slaves and puppets to a higher power that's the general gist of the eternals that they're there for a purpose it's a not too human friendly purpose shall we say but i would personally recommend it for anyone who wants to give it a go as a different kind of marvel movie there's lots of humor in there it's very classic marvel in the sense that humor pops up in the most unlikely of places um spoiler alert now because i want to really i really want to say this next bit but gilgamesh rest in peace i love gilgamesh he was one of my favorite characters up with uh well cerisi was good cerisi was good she was a really good character but i would say gilgamesh is the unsung hero (laughs) of this band of heroes i'd say that the eternals it tries to it's a very strange one because it's almost like you're starting off in the way that the Avengers did, but it's a family, like Marvel's first family then, as it were, is a group of superhuman beings from beyond Earth's remit. They look human, but they're not human, and they are superhuman, super powerful, and they have the wit and might to match. I just think that it's almost like you're watching the Avengers, but without the whole needing to get the band together kind of thing, and all the obstacles in between there's still lots of tension between them so that kind of makes them very much like the avengers the tension that you see in the likes of age of ultron or even the first avengers where they're not quite getting on and they've got to learn to trust each other and such whereas eternals they have to they already trust each other but then that trust falls apart and then some people have to reaffirm who their loyalties lie with that's all i can really say about the eternals but it's very visual effects heavy it was an interesting film to watch it shouldn't have been as long as it should have been. It was way too long, in my opinion. I think it was about two an hour, two hours, 45 minutes, something like that. 
again, I have this problem with modern cinema. Some films really just need to learn that an hour and a half or even two hours, just two hours on its own, is not a bad time frame for a film. It really just bugs me so much that they feel the need to extend these things and this sort of brings me on to it'll bring me on to one of my next points in a minute about another film uh but before we continue the film that i saw uh i think it was slightly before eternals actually now i remember but i did see halloween kills also at a showcase cinema as well the tagline i've put for this one is he can never die <laughs> michael myers comes back for the 100th time and the film itself is enjoyable if you like a good old slasher where you like to see people getting hacked to death and stuff but at the end of the day you know if you hadn't sent because personally i got dragged along to this saying oh do you want to see new halloween kills and i was like oh, it's halloween i haven't been to the cinema for a while let's give it a go um if you send the original halloween film it works out really well it sort of has nice connections and a new extra dimension to connect it to the original 1978 john carpenter film but at the same time if you hadn't seen the film that comes before it which actually does follow you know this film follows on from the previous events of halloween uh the older film uh the like more newer version then it doesn't really matter because i'd missed it and it seems to do a really nice recap of what happened last time on here's what happened last week on halloween <laughs> it was not the most intelligible of films it really just is just hack after hack after hack but it's enjoyable if you like that sort of thing and i thought you know it wasn't too bad i think the length wasn't too bad either which sort of brings me back to my point that i made with the eternals it was really good there was lots of emotion and powerful impactful scenes and moments between various characters there was lots of big cgi moments like to expect in any big blockbuster film but it was too long halloween kills wasn't a bad length and that's why i think it worked okay because if it was a bit longer it would have been so much more boring because you know there's only so many people michael myers can kill off in the town and there's only one town so unless he decides to go international i don't think a longer time length would have worked but that's just my opinion on that one but relating to time frames we've been waiting for this film for so long and it is no time to die the james bond film the final outing by daniel craig's james bond and this one i saw at a cine world uh, the nec specifically cine world in birmingham uh, specifically because I, I thought i got some time to kill drop my girlfriend off at a concert there's a cinema nearby i haven't seen no time to die yet why not go and see it i personally really enjoyed no time to die now before people jump down my throat and say it wasn't that good it was really rubbish it wasn't great at all i would say yes there are bits that aren't that great but there are bits that are equally just as cool i love the bond stylistic like the opening sequence of um uh you know where we get introduced to this young girl and rami malek's character his villain we get to see that interaction and the seed being planted later for the plot to be developed later i like that that was good uh, and the very creepy hunting down through the ice and that half cut off mask revealing the slightly scorched face i loved the look of that that was brilliant uh, rami malek does a brilliant sort of evil daring performance as a classic james bond villain really he does the perfect caricature of a james bond villain and James Bond, really, throughout the majority of this film, old Daniel Craig, 007, or old 007, he spends his time moaning 
uh, the fact that he's been replaced or at least making sarcastic comments about being replaced and then his replacement as it were so we get introduced to I think the actress's name is Natasha Lynch I want to say off the top of my head but anyway the new 007 who replaced James after he goes off grid and somewhat retires and doesn't do anything with his duties post Spectre the events of Spectre the pair of them bounce off each other they have this weird chemistry where they're sort of insulting each other but eventually they get on in the end to for the greater good then shall we say and there's classic bond hijinks and chases and stuff you know it is what it is it's the same old formula reused over and over again but i think again in james bond they really labored the point and slight spoiler alert here when it comes to the end james bond's on the island the island's gonna blow up i'm not gonna say much more about how it ends, how he escapes or doesn't escape. There's a little one for you there. I would say personally, it was just so drawn out. Like the emotional impact of it, I can understand what they're going for, but at the end of the day, just kill him off or just, you know, blow him up or blow Rami Malik up. Do the business quicker, you know, like it, it doesn't take much resolution to find out, oh, the island's on its last legs, Rami Malik's here, James Bond's here, it's a fight to the death kind of thing, and I think, you know, there's a square-off duel which I'll let people discover for themselves between Rami Malik and James Bond is a really good moment, and I think it's really well done. But at the same time, yeah, several bits you could have cut out so many times. Like, there were points where I was, I literally looked at my watch and I was like, is this nearly over? Is it over? Yeah, because I... I don't understand how it can go any further. I was on the edge of my seat, I enjoyed it, but at the same time, it wasn't really ideal in terms of the time frame. But there was great moments, I loved the bit at the beginning in where you have James and his, I can't remember her name, she's so forgettable, but the one from Spectre, who's his girlfriend, I think they get married as well or something, that sort of escapes me really, that's how much I cared about that, uh, went over my head. But they are in the Aston Martin, the DB5, the classic DB5, and the way they're racing around all these hilly areas and uh, like James Bond's on a motorbike, that lovely moment which we see in the trailer, probably one of my favourite moments in everybody's because they'd already seen it in the trailer where he goes up a bit like a Hot Wheels ramp, goes up and down he goes again on the motorbike. It's really cool when you have that moment of <gasps> suspense and it, it genuinely gets you and I enjoyed it. So I would say, you know, whilst I rated Black Widow three out of <laughs> out of five stars, I'd say James Bond matches that, but for a different reason, because it is so laboured, so long. Black Widow was because it should have just been more centred on another character. Uh, at least the way the plot was devised. If they'd done something, a different story with Natasha, it would have worked. But that's why that lacks in my ratings there. Halloween Kills, he hacks everyone to death. It's just a simple story, but the kills were decent, if you like that sort of thing. And then No Time to Die, yeah, it was just too long, for my in my opinion. Uh, which is saying something, because I went to see a film that was nearly three hours long, and it's on my list, and I loved it to pieces. But yeah, like I said, uh, Cruella, I'd rate a good five out of five stars, because that was really enjoyable. Uh, and then I've got two more films left on my list of films that I've already seen at the cinema, and that was, I'll briefly say, Last Night in Soho, saw it at a showcase cinema, the Edgar Wright film, neon-drenched masterpiece, absolutely loved it. Go and check out my review of Last Night in Soho and indeed the Directed by Edgar Wright episode where we talk about his works with my friend Sean Harris. Brilliant film, Last Night in Soho. Matt Smith, Anya Taylor-Joy, 
absolutely class act. 60s drenched, neon drenched masterpiece. Perfect. I couldn't really say much more about that, so go and check out the review of it. The other film which I've seen, which I can't say too much about because I'm going to actually do an episode in the new year once everybody has seen the film or had a chance to, and the embargo's over, Spider-Man No Way Home. The Marvel Cinematic Universe culmination, the end to the Tom Holland initial trilogy then. I mean, there could be more. could be more. We've heard from Sony that there could be another three Spider-Man films with Tom Holland at the fray, but who knows? But Spider-Man No Way Home. All that I can say really is obviously it's got Ben Dick Humberbatch in it, Tom Holland and all the regular usual suspects from Spider-Man that we've got used to so far in, you know, the MCU. And obviously if anyone's seen the trailer, you know it's got villains from across the multiverse. You've got Doc Ock and the Green Goblin, Sandman, Electro, played by Jamie Foxx. So many iconic villains from the previous versions of the Spider-Man films and Peter's got to deal with all of them because he's trying to work his way through the problem that Mysterio caused for him at the end of Far From Home where his identity was revealed to the world. I love this film. I cannot say much more because I will do an all-spoiler-out review and discussion of it in the new year, but it was a brilliant spectacle. People cheered. People cheered in the cinema and clapped. I gasped so many times and it was absolutely amazing. I... I'm grinning so much now because I'm thinking of all the things that happened, like all your regular characters like Zendaya's MJ and Ned as well. All of them were so good. You even get to see the teachers as well. Again, those really weird teachers who were in Far From Home a lot. They're so funny. But honestly, Tom Holland does a stellar performance in this. It's a tour de force performance by him and everybody else in the cast. It is truly a wonderful film if you are a fan of Spider-Man as a character and you love the Spider-Man films because obviously we've got all these great villains that everybody knows is going to be in the film. If you've seen the trailers, you know they're going to be in there. That's not a spoiler. But yeah, Doctor Strange, one thing I can highlight actually because I think it's been a clip that's been released actually is that the fight between Spider-Man and Doctor Strange over a magical object which has got to send all the villains back home that's all I can really say for now, is a fantastic visual effort, really, on Marvel's part. It was a really brilliantly well-directed and choreographed scene and sequence. I just, it's your ultimate fantasy, really. Magic and madness of, you know, the mirror dimensions back and Spider-Man as well. And Spider-Man has a very good comeback for the end of that sequence. So I look forward to people's reactions to that if you haven't seen it already. But for now, Spider-Man No Way Home. If you haven't seen it, please go and watch it and then tune into my review, which will be coming in the new year once everybody has hopefully had the chance to see it. And I saw that again. It was a packed cinema. It was packed beyond belief. Like pre-pandemic levels, it was just mad. Everyone was quite safe and happy. But it was such a mad experience that I haven't experienced something like that since Avengers Infinity War and then especially Avengers Endgame. So please watch it if you haven't watched it, especially if you're a big Spider-Man fan. Please go and watch it. Moving on though to other films, and this is just going to be a very quick one, other films that I've seen in 2021 as well. Some of these I, <laughs> some of these are really good, some of these are <laughs> not really good, I don't really like them, and I've said on other episodes as well, but it's just a recap really. But these are new films that I've seen in 2021. Two, I'm going to give a couple of 
a lot of them are on streaming services and some of them you can still watch now as well uh, i did a review on mank david fincher's golden hollywood pain uh, that he looked at the life of or at least a portion little segment of someone's life the uh, screenwriter herman j mankowitz or mank as he was known uh, it's shot in black and white it was made up to look like actual film like it was shot on film and it was a gorgeously shot piece of cinema and all it really does is looks at the making of or at least the life of this man in the lead up to the writing and the making of the what people deem the greatest film in cinema history or american cinema history and that is orson welles's citizen kane who there's dispute over his writing credit in it obviously because mank wrote the script but orson welles contributed to it as well as well as directing and starring in it but yeah mank is worth a watch it should still be on netflix it's quite a decent one i only got into watching it in the new year i think it came out towards the end of 2020 but I only just watched it in 2021, so Mank, that was a good one. Uh, Soul, I watched on Disney Plus as well. Again, I think that was a Christmas release in 2020, but I only just watched it at the beginning of the year. But I think it was roughly around that time it was commercially released as well. Soul is, I love it because you get to see a Pixar animated version of New York City. That's just all I'll say on that one. It's a very uh, philosophical kind of film. Again, very much in tune with Pixar's thing. They love to show you their, you know, sensitive side and looking at the deeper, meaningful things in life expressed through the form of animation. And I do love the style of animation, the characters, the bounciness of them, the wackiness, and looking into a different interpretation of the afterlife. It was very, very moving. Moving film, really. And speaking of Pixar, I also saw... Um, I also watched Luca, I should say, very recently actually i only just caught up with it just before the end of 2021 luca is lots of people are saying it's a a gay allegorical tale and i can see that so luca if anyone doesn't know it it's about a pair of sea monsters two lads that well sea monsters they're sea creatures they're they turn human every time they're out of water when they're touched by water or they're in water they go back to their original form and these two lads form a really close friendship uh, and they eventually decide to try and enter this competition to win a Vespa because they want to own a Vespa and drive around little Italy, as it were. But I just, it, it's a very heartwarming film. Again, like Soul, I was personally touched by it. It was such a lovely film to watch. And I don't relate to anything in the subtext at all. But lots of people have been doing readings on Luca. I know I do have one of my old lecturers I'm still in contact with from uni who very explicitly has looked and dissected Luca to death within certain reason uh, about its allegorical nature, about its relation to, uh, I don't know, a coming out sort of story, but not really. I, d I don't really have a place to say that myself personally, that's for others to say, but from what I've read on other people's viewpoints, I can see where they're coming from and I do agree. And overall, though, it's just an enjoyable film. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's about two fish people coming to the surface and integrating in human life. And one of them, Luca, wanting to advance himself and integrate into this culture that is the human race. And it's something that we can all look to, really, that, you know, when you see someone from another part of the world and they try and come over and integrate themselves into this part of the world because they want to 
expand their mind through like a university course or expand themselves as a person through personality and just people skills that is what Luca really is all about really except in a child friendly or family friendly way really uh, and I enjoyed it very much it was a you know soul teaches you the purpose of life is anything you make it Luca is about you find that purpose and you go for it, yeah? I mean, Soul does that as well, really, but, you know, it's the same MO for Pixar, really. You live your best life. The other thing as well, other films I've seen, I didn't see at the cinema, but I've watched James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, a colourful comic book action piece. Some people don't really like the original one. Other people don't really like this one. I personally really enjoyed this one. Harley Quinn is the jewel in this crown. She really shines in this film. She's a beautiful woman who is not afraid to do what she thinks needs to be doing on this film, in this scenario. Like, they are the Suicide Squad. They meet no prisoners. Uh, and I kind of like the fact that James Gunn approaches it as a not a big middle finger to the other film. Uh, like, saying, oh, that one sucked. Here's my better version. I mean, lots of people would say that's the case, but... It's very nice that the way that he's made it so open in the DC Extended Universe that he's managed to make it so that it's accessible for all audiences. Even if you didn't enjoy Suicide Squad the first time, the old the 2016 version, I think it was, you will enjoy this one. It's very fun. Uh, got some great character moments. Peacemaker, John Cena's Peacemaker is just amazing. Idris Elba is bloodshot the pair of them clashing together, it's something that you need to see to be believed. And then Harley Quinn in the middle going, woo, pew, 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 in the middle, you know, so good. Uh, <laughs> but I would say, yeah, again, that one suffers from the it's too long problem. But I think a film, if you're going to talk about how long it is, as much as I could say it is too long, uh, a friend of mine would probably crucify me for saying that. Uh, but Zack Snyder's Justice League, the true vision of the director, he did several reshoots to get this up and running, made the film into a four-part, four-hour film, uh, and very biblical. You know, Zack Snyder does lots of things that are epic and biblical in their proportions and very allegorical and representative of, you know, godly and religious thematics. Uh, you know, he's also responsible for one of what people would argue is one of the worst films of this year, uh, Army of the Dead, which was on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> it's not a great film, Zach. Um, unfortunately, I'm not a fan. Uh, Justice League, however, whilst it is long and it does plod and it does go on a long time, I do think it is a definite improvement on the first iteration by Miles because obviously you've got so much more room for character development the cinematic like the way it's shot as well it's in a four three aspect ratio as well it's not done in widescreen it's not been cropped or anything like the other one uh the color grading's much better as well it's a bit darker and gringier more in tone with the universe of batman versus superman man of steel the films that we'd already seen from snyder so you know it's great from that perspective it is very long but if you do enjoy that sort of thing go for it. Uh, other films that I did see this year, uh, I was very privileged to see a short film called Riverboat, which I was sent to review by Jack Burney, who featured on an interview special about said film on the podcast, so go and check that one out. It was an intense psychological short film, and I 
you know, if you guys go to his website, I think you can actually go and watch it there. Uh, so keep an eye out for all his content. So once again, Jack, thanks for coming on. And in terms of intense independent production features as well, I'd like to give a shout out to Homesick. The feature film debut of Jason Farries, who throughout the entire lockdown, or at least a good portion of the first lockdown, planned and then as we opened back up again within certain restrictions made this feature film about the pandemic an intense psychological thriller with some ghostly aspects to it i would say as well in my opinion if you haven't watched it it's on amazon prime please go and watch it and i did an interview special about homesick as well with jason and his partner the assistant ad and producer emily stanley they were on the episode i think it's episode 33 two i think 33 go and check that one out it's a very good episode very good insights from jason and i can't believe that i got to be on set for that as well it's a really good intense grip and a good look at the pandemic from one point of view as well in a cinematic way so please go and watch that a really cool and black and white scene there's a scene in black and white very psycho-esque so please go and watch that it's a great film and shout out to Jason for that. Well done, mate, for props to you for getting that off the ground. And since we're talking about black and white films, I just mentioned a sequence. My least favourite film of the year, Malcolm and Marie <laughs> by Sam Levison. It was absolutely boring. <laughs> I cannot stress to you how much I hated Malcolm and Marie. Um, I think I was a little bit more tame on my actual episode where I reviewed Malcolm and Marie. It had good intentions. It would be good as a theatre piece because it's set all in one space and it's only got two people. Uh, but as a film, it was very boring, very drab. The dynamics were completely off. The performances were very good uh, on one hand. Then day was fairly okay and, you know, good as usual. John David Washington or whatever his name is, the guy from Tenet, he was okay. But there was way too much swearing. And personally, I don't really want to be watching something like... They just seem to be swearing for no reason. At the end of the day, they just started saying the C word for over and over again, just calling each other names. It just seemed a bit over the top, if you ask me. But like I said, it, it was my least favourite film of 2021. So, you know, if Spider-Man No Way Home and Last Night in Soho, they're sort of tied as my favourite film experiences and they're up there. Um, definitely. Yeah, Malcolm Marie rubbish it's on netflix if you want to bore yourself to death and uh, be sworn and shouted at a lot but malcolm marie it's a big no from me very quickly though new discoveries that i made so the via blu-ray specifically i got the new 4k restoration of the 1983 i think it is the outsiders the francis ford coppola film uh, which is based on a novel and it's all about the, it's a very, it's got lots of big names from the time. It's got, you know, Patrick Swayze, Ralph Macchio, those kind of guys. And the restoration was really good. I'd never seen the film before because Francis Ford Coppola is a thing about re-releasing his films now and releasing new cuts of it, the complete novel edition. I watched the theatrical cut just to sort of see how it was originally. And it was generally a delight, really. Not a bad one. It's got a Stevie Wonder song in the credits. It's quite an interesting one. I do love a bit of coming of age. Uh, next up on that as well, though, for Christmas time, I watched the 2018 Grinch. I actually didn't mind it. Not going to lie to you. It was quite a good film. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't the Jim Carrey Grinch by any means. 
but I think it, for what it is, it's very enjoyable. And, you know, the Illumination guys, the Minion people, they've done quite well uh, with Benedict Cumberbatch as the voice of the Grinch. Other films that I've seen this year, I was a bit late to the party, so they released a double set of A Quiet Place Parts 1 and 2. Obviously, Part 2 has been muchly anticipated, and I saw both of them sort of back-to-back, as it were. I watched it one night and then one another night around halloween i think period and i watched both of them and i pretty much enjoyed both of them i really did like them i can see why people have hyped about them so much but a quiet place part one didn't need to happen i'll be honest that if you slipped a little bit of part one into part two and made one film that would have been fine because part two in my opinion was better although if you don't watch part one you don't get the emphasis and the drama that you get and the tension from part two then so i do see why they're necessary but emily blunt a brilliant performance overall. I also recently watched uh, a film called The Boy, uh, which is uh, about a freaky doll called Brahms, who's also an overgrown boy, if you haven't seen that. Uh, it's a very strange film, very independently looking, but I, I don't have much to say about that. It's a weird, cheapy horror film, which my girlfriend got me into, but it's very, very interesting. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I also watched The Conjuring, which I like to call posh ghost hunters, sorry, spirit hunters, with Vera Farmiga, who anyone who knows Bates Motel, she was Norman Bates's mum in that, and she's also in Hawkeye, the TV series, actually, she plays Kate Bishop's mum, and we also get to see, you know, lots of creepy ghosts, and I've never seen The Conjuring or any of The Conjuring universe, but I'm gonna shortly be getting into them, because I made the mistake of buying my girlfriend the box set so I can get into it with her, even though she's watched all of them ten times over. Uh, I watched the first Conjuring, and genuinely I was very impressed, because most horrors these days are a bit crap. So I really do think that I'm, you know, I've got good expectations for the rest of The Conjuring, although I've heard The Devil Made Me Do It. Not the best film, should we say. Uh, but that's really all I have to say for new discoveries on Blu-ray then. Uh, and... A dedicated segment I wanted to mention as well. I did mention just now Vera Farmiga starring in Hawkeye, uh, which has not long been on Disney+. Plus. If you haven't watched Hawkeye, please go and see it. Uh, but I have to give Marvel the shout-out because they've had all their cinema releases. They've had the likes of Black Widow come out, Shang-Chi, uh, The Eternals, Spider-Man, obviously the big one. Uh, but they've also had their Disney Plus universe as well, or, you know, parts of the universe. Uh, started off with Division. I did a little bit of review on that. Probably not a brilliant episode, but if you want to check it out, go for it. That is what I would call Trauma Escapism via television, and we follow Wanda Maximoff and Vision. Uh, we also see Falcon and the Winter Soldier, so Bucky and Sam, uh, leading into a Captain America 4, hopefully in the next year or so. What If, an animated first for Marvel, animated anthology series, which goes into the heart of the multiverse. And we may even get to see the Doctor Strange that we see in What If in live action form, because if anyone's seen the trailer for the Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, I think he's coming. <laughs> Dark Doctor Strange, as we're going to call him now. Loki as well, variants into the multiverse, more multiverse action from Loki, and we get to see Tom Hiddleston's charismatic character come back to life. And then, we, obviously, I mentioned Hawkeye already, which, if you like Christmas and you want superheroes and Christmas together, watch Hawkeye. <laughs> and also, if you like dogs, there's a cute dog in it. It's really cool. Uh, and I think Hayley Steinfeld does a brilliant job being the person to bring out Clint Barton out of his shell, shall we say. It's, uh, you know, Christmas in New York with archery and lots of LARPing as well. 
for anyone who knows, you know. <laughs> uh, but now I just want to quickly say I've got one little highlight from the podcast and I did mention it earlier. This is Billy Morton's hot take on who the real Psycho is in the 1960 Alfred Hitchcock film Psycho. I couldn't get away with not playing this clip because it's pure joy. It's absolutely hilarious to me. I was bursting into fits of, of laughter when I first heard it, just the way he came out with it. So, Billy, little shout out for you. Here is your clip, your, my honourable mention clip for you of your hot take of who the real psycho is. Yeah. I honestly though, this is my hot take about psycho, right? Is the real psycho, right? I'll tell you who the real psycho is. It's Marion it? Crane because when she gets in the shower, she turns it on and she lets the, the water go directly onto her skin without testing how hot it is. I don't know if you, obviously we've all been to hotels. You don't know what temperature that's going to be. You turn it on, it could be boiling hot. It could be freezing cold. It's, it, it's notorious for not knowing what's going on. And she just gets in, she turns it on, goes straight onto her. And she's like, oh yes, now I'm washing myself. I'm like, that's so unrealistic. Come on. She'd be like, either like, ow, that really hurts. Or, oh my God, I'm so cold. And then she gets murdered. I mean, not the worst thing that's happened to her, you know? Oh it's, gosh! Oh, that's, I think that's, that's 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 broken me. That has that's, that's, that's broken me. <laughs> it's pure psychopathic behaviour, in my opinion. Um, uh, but look, in a way, she deserved to be killed just for that. <laughs> no, I kid, obviously. But uh, no, uh, you know, nitpicking aside, it is an it's an iconic. It's brilliant. It's such an amazing film. And I mean. <sighs> It's just, <laughs> it gets me every time. I listen to that every once in a while. It just makes me giggle. <laughs> right, finally, guys, I just want to sort of give a sort of quick mention films that I'm looking forward to in the year ahead. Quick fire. So there's uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza, set in the 1970s. Looks like he's in Hollywood, I think. It looks really good. It looks so funny. It looks so good. It's so independent, but so beautifully shot. It looks brilliant. Uh, I mentioned Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, the trailer for which was the post credit scene in Spider-Man No Way Home, and it's been released publicly. It is a brilliant film. So excited for that. It looks really cool. Plus, I love Doctor Strange. It's one of my favourites. Speaking of Spider-Man, we've got Morbius coming out as well. Uh, Jared Leto playing the lead character. A new Scream film, Death on the Niles, finally coming out. The Kenneth Branagh adaptation of it. It looks like it could be really good, but, you know, Murder on the Orient Express was one thing. We'll see how this one turns out. The new Batman, obviously. Matt Reeves' Batman with Robert Pattinson in it. How could you not look forward to that? Uh, another Robert Pattinson connection, actually. The director, Robert Eggers, who did the film The Lighthouse with Willem Dafoe, who plays the Green Goblin, and uh, Robert Patterson as well. Uh, he, Robert Eggers, has, is bringing out a new film, The Northman, which looks really cool and really strange. If The Lighthouse was anything to go by, I'm very excited for that. The new Fantastic Beast film's coming out, Secrets of Dumbledore. I'm going to put it out there and it'd say it looks a hundred times better than the first two altogether. Well, at least the second one anyway. second one didn't need to happen, but it does look really good. If you like your Harry Potter, it looks very much like part of the original canon of magic then. The other things as well, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. That the sequel to Into the Spider-Verse, it looked really cool. I cannot wait to see more Miles Morales. That's going to be so exciting to see and see where that goes. And then I think I've read this correctly, potentially next year, the Baz Luhrmann Elvis film is coming out. And I'm so excited for that. I'm so excited. Like, I've been waiting since The Great Gatsby for a new Baz Luhrmann film. 
and this is finally the moment so <laughs> i'm very excited uh, like i said i did want to conclude the podcast with this quick little run fire as well of some shout outs uh, i have enjoyed just wanted to say from the bottom of my heart thank you to everyone who has listened and in tuned in for the podcast be it through social media or even for the episodes themselves and engaged with us publicly because without you guys the listeners or people who talk to me about what the content is and the film discussions we have we wouldn't have Taint 97 a film podcast uh, and especially for 2021 I just want to give a big shout out to my guests uh, I've had this year so Ollie Marvin, Billy Morton, Jason Farries and Emily Stanley Ace Mesa from Films Unchained Podcast, loving you, mate. Dr. Lindsay Steenberg, Kiati and Cody from the Filmfluence Podcast, Sean Harris, Jack Burney, Spencer Anderson, Adrian Lindsay, and then finally also just a couple of others, the Infinite Film Club guys and Pod Culture Vultures, Uncredited Extras Podcast, and many, many more accounts that i follow the real detectives as well you guys are amazing all of you have contributed to what i've put out and had really cool discussions with me so thank you so much for all of your interactions with me be they through these episodes or on my social media platform and lastly i want to give a massive massive shout out to keely eastwood who designs she's the young lady who designs our graphics and even the artwork for this episode she did the Decade series as well, which I was very, very proud of. I loved doing the Decade series. It was a really interesting series of episodes to do, and I I love listening back to those. I don't often listen back to my episodes other than for the edit, but I do love the Decades series the most out of all the episodes I've ever done, as well as the guest ones. But the Decades, the artwork that Keely has produced really matches the content, I feel, personally. And I just want to say thank you again, Keely, for all the work you've done so it's much appreciated so thank you so much um and then that's really all i have to say really about you know thanking everybody so all that's left to say for this film 2021 review is uh, a recap really of the malcolm murray goodbye get in the bin you are my worst film of 2021 and then spider-man no way home and last night in soho are my joint top favorite films of the year i'm so sad i didn't get to see the kingsman as at this point i might see it eventually so i might do a later review but i hopefully will see that eventually and i'm excited for to see what 2022 has to offer in the world of film and i hope you guys will stick with me on this journey of madness and film really <laughs> so thank you again and I hope to see you next time on another episode of Taint 97, the film podcast. We will take a short break, but we will be back some point probably towards the end of January, I would imagine. But I've got to recoup before I get some new content with some brand new collaborations and some familiar faces here and there as well. So all that's left for me to say is that's a wrap on Taint 97, the film 2021 edition of the podcast. And I will see you in the new year. Happy New Year, guys. See you later.